Uh, but even if you have a fixed battery now, uh, so if you're buying a Tata with a fixed battery, or you're buying an Ether. Uh, contractually, what we are saying is that if you sell a vehicle and ask a bank to finance that, but have a leasing company purchase the or give the value of the battery to the OEM ultimately, but then lease that or rent that battery back to the customer and you know for a for a monthly lease rental amount and including X number of kilometers. That is akin to the behavior of, of buying a, a petrol car and spending say 3,000 rupees a month on petrol. The minute you do that from a price point, the vehicle or the price of the vehicle you're buying will probably be less than an ICE vehicle now. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Startup Fridays, weekly conversations with accomplished entrepreneurs and VC investors. I'm Hari Arakli. In this episode, Kunal Khatter, founding partner at Advantage, an early stage VC firm in Delhi, focused on India's mobility sector, talks about the future of this industry in India and the role that companies ranging from Aether to Tesla could play in it. He also talks about business innovations that could soon make electric vehicles more affordable to the Indian buyer and perhaps even cheaper than the fossil fuel guzzling ones. Kunal also spoke a little bit about his own entrepreneurial journey leading up to the setting up of his VC firm. Kunal, welcome to Startup Fridays and uh, thank you so much for making time for this. There is more interest in deep tech in India. There's so much happening in the EV sector and you're kind of a central player at the early stage in backing some of these mobility startups. You've taken a lead in that sector as an investor. So uh, really looking forward to this conversation, sir. Oh, Hari, thank you so much for having me. And I know we've been trying to get uh, to do this for some time and it's always a pleasure. So thank you. Appreciate it. All right. For a more for a more general audience who may not know about you, uh, can you start with a simple background or a little bit about yourself? Uh, give us a snapshot of your journey from economics graduate all the way to founding Advantage. Uh, I know long journey, but attempt a quick snapshot and then we'll go from there. Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, now you're asking me to go back many decades, but uh, I basically did my high school, college and postgrad in Delhi. My first job was actually in mobile telephony, helped launch the GSM services for the company that's today called Vodafone. So that was in principle my first startup experience, so to say. Uh, I went back to the US in 98 to do my second master's from Northwestern. Uh, my first stint from there was at Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan. So that was my first exposure to the mobility sector. Uh, moved to Silicon Valley, uh, went into technology consulting, worked with multiple clients. This was during the 2000-2001 dot-com boom. So uh, was a tremendous exposure to not only the ecosystem that Silicon Valley had to offer, but more importantly, learned to work in a in a bull market as well as the uh, dot com crash that happened after that. Then uh, became an entrepreneur two times over. The first business called Simply Look didn't do that well. The second one we were successful in selling and exiting. Um, went into private equity, led a hundred million dollar round in a company called Lotus Labs based out of India, moved back to India uh, and started a company called Carnation Auto, which is my third entrepreneurial venture, along with my father, who used to work for Maruti. It was an amazing seven-year roller coaster ride with multiple near-death experiences and tremendous learning. Exited that business to Carnation and then had a choice to whether to become an entrepreneur four times over or set up a platform and create entrepreneurs, which is what the Indian uh, startup ecosystem needed and that was the birth of advantage and here we are uh, we've created india's most successful mobility fund and we're in the process of raising a third fund i'm gonna come back to it a little bit more down the line but i'm uh, curious about what led you to choose economics as against uh, maybe engineering uh, many of your peers have an engineering background uh, uh, I think I was always interested more on the business side of things, but I didn't, uh, I think in India as an undergraduate, you really didn't have an option to get a business degree. Um, so it allowed me to sort of get exposure to things like accounting, uh, business finance, etc., but also understand the basics 
of macro and microeconomics. Um, so that was uh, the reason why I chose that. But in hindsight, I think I should have uh, got a technical degree with a business or a, or a, a finance major as a master's. Um, but uh, I think it's been pretty helpful. It's allowed me to become uh, and understand various aspects of of the uh, of creating successful companies. But I think ultimately, you know, what you do in college only is somewhat important to uh, ultimately what you choose as a career. So I think that flexibility is much more prevalent in the U.S. system, which is which which is where I spent about twelve years of my career. But even in India now, we're seeing that there are. Uh, founders coming from all different aspects of of undergraduate degrees and things like that okay uh let's jump right into what you're doing at advantage i i think you just said you're into your third fund now uh, right. can you can you talk about uh, when you all founded it how did you and uh, nitin team up uh, and just give us a general overview about what advantage is about uh, I think we started the process of setting up the fund in 2015. Uh, so as we had just exited uh, or sold Carnation to Mahindra. Uh, it wasn't a great exit for the founders, but uh, it was a terrific learning experience. And it was my father, really, when I sat down and spoke to him and said, well, now I, I couldn't really go back to the corporate world, right? I, I'd sort of been an entrepreneur now for the past 10, 12 years. Um and he said that what uh, India needs right now, this is 2015, uh, India needs 100 successful entrepreneurs. So why don't you build a platform or do something um, which can help us achieve that? So uh, uh, typical of him, always putting country first. And I was fortunate enough to have met with Vaman Segal, who's the promoter and vice chairman of Mother Son. And he was itching to start a technology fund as well. So it's sort of a partnership uh, that came about and we made our first investment in 2016. Um, initially, I think we had, I had Ridesh join me in 17, Ashwin in 18. Uh, Nitin joined in 2019 and he's been an integral part of the fund since then. Uh, fund one was fully deployed by 2019. We started ra- uh, raising fund two in 2020. Unfortunately, COVID hit and the worst time to raise a mobility fund was, is in the middle of a pandemic. So that was a learning for our success as well. It was tough, but it forced us to focus on our existing portfolio companies. Uh, most of them survived, and that was because of our discipline of, of investing only in asset-like companies. I think today, if I look back at the you know eight-plus years of investing, we think we're pretty well established now um, as, as a leading mobility fund. Uh, I think one of the key secret success that I would honestly say is our ability to focus on a specific narrow uh, vertical and go deep into that um, and recognizing trends early on. So 2015, we recognized a trend of shared mobility. Uber had just launched in India and we realized that uh, at a 300 rupee price point, Uber, uh, you know, only one or two percent of Indians can afford that. So we looked at other shared mobility options and we invested in companies that were running e-rickshaws, bike taxis, intercity buses, uh, shuttle buses, uh, intracity, public transportation and things like that. So the rule of thumb was what can what mobility service is available for less than say 50 rupees, 60 rupees uh, or a dollar a ride as we used to call it. And what are the asset light models that are available, which is basically identifying existing asset categories that are being underutilized and then layering a tech platform, a two-sided marketplace on demand supply to see how you increase asset utilization. And that was sort of the shared mobility thesis was fund one. Uh, Fund two, we focused on four verticals, which is the auto aftermarket, logistics, shared mobility, and the EV. Fund three, like I mentioned, we are just starting uh, to raise uh, money for that, and we're in advanced discussions with a few strategic LPs to come on board. This fund three was a realization and uh, on the opportunity that the EV space is giving to us in that transition from ICE to EV. Actually, our first investment was EV was back in 2018 and we realized it was a few years too early and EVs hadn't scaled, but I think the timing is right now. And that transition from ICE to EV is no longer a vertical. It's actually a horizontal opportunity and that electrification is disrupting not just the auto industry, but the shared mobility and the logistics sector as well. Okay, this is a pretty interesting point that I'd love for you to talk a bit more. Um, 
just for, you know folks who might be interested in some of these numbers uh, can you quickly give us a sense of the uh, size of the first two funds and what you're looking to raise for the third fund sure um i think first fund we ended up deploying between the fund and lp co investments about uh, 10 million dollars um fund two we will end up deploying about 25 million dollars um fund three we are looking to raise 60 million dollars with the green shoe option of taking it up to 100 million we think that that 60 to 100 million is sort of the sweet spot for a country like india we don't want to raise a very large fund but we also don't want to raise a very small fund um i think given that we're sector focused um you know just like businesses shouldn't be overcapitalized we also feel that large funds which are sector focused end up doing suboptimal deals which is what we don't want to do and hence that's sort of our target uh, is basically to do a 60 to 100 million dollar fund three hmm. and can you know walk us through this idea of what you see as a horizontal opportunity of the transition from ice to evs in india sure so if we look at so as 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 investors right we are looking at sectors that are getting disrupted with technology uh, ultimately you know technology as they say software is eating the world it's a famous quote from andreessen horowitz uh, what we are seeing is that ultimately disruption is what creates the next unicorn or the next successful uh, companies so shared mobility was a business model that was disrupting uh, you know various sectors whether it was public transportation or bike taxis or just regular taxi businesses um, we think this transition from ice to ev and you know i was just reading today morning that a number of countries now uh, more than 5% of new vehicle sales are electric vehicles so that's sort of the tipping point where we see acceleration of ev adoption because by that point the infrastructure the charging networks etc is well established so evs suddenly become into the come into the consideration set for anybody looking to buy a new vehicle and that many countries have crossed that point um, and hopefully india will cross that as well um so when we look at that disruption our behind the envelope calculation we feel that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity where wealth creation will be north of a trillion dollars uh and the reason for that is we're expecting about 100 million evs to be sold in the next 8 to 10 years and for those 100 million evs to be sold we're talking about uh new auto component companies coming up new ovms disruptor brands like ather and ola electric coming up we're talking about distribution uh you know models uh coming up whether it's single brand experience centers or multi brand dealerships we're talking in the aftermarket space we are looking at battery recycling battery replacement we are talking about ev financing battery leasing ev insurance uh servicing of electric vehicles which is predominantly going to be done at home and uh, pre-owned evs will also be sold and then there is a layer of data every ev is an iot it's generating tons and tons of data and there's tremendous business opportunities to create companies with that data that we're going to be collecting on a real time basis i mean we're not even thinking about autonomous driving of vehicles right now although i was in the bay area recently and i every day i would see at least 10 or 15 uh cruise or zoom x cars that were being driven autonomously in the city so i think autonomous uh, uh vehicles are, have come have arrived but i think we still some time to go before india so if i add up all the disruption that is going to happen across the automotive industry right across the value chain from auto component ev uh, oems uh dealerships uh, finance and insurance and i look at shared mobility all our shared mobility portfolio companies are creating robust uh business plans to go 100% electric uh because of their path to profitability uh, transitioning from ice uh, or fuel fossil fuel to ev is actually one of the biggest ways to reduce operating cost if i look at uh, logistics whether it's the uh, the last mile delivery guys whether it's food fast commerce uh, intercity middle mile or long distance they are also wanting to transition away from fossil fuel uh, to evs and the reason that's happened of course is that investors are asking their companies to become profitable and we've seen that you know the price of oil is remaining high because of the ukraine war 
and another a number of other macro factors. So I think it, this is the opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity, where like I mentioned, it's a trillion dollar wealth creation. So as a fund, we're looking to deploy capital across the sector and hopefully be able to identify companies that will create, uh, will have successful outcomes. Do you think that uh, the combination of technology, like you said, the transition to electric vehicles and uh, external pressure from capital markets, investors, and so on, will push the entrepreneurs in this sector to find uh, that sort of tangible path to profitability? Uh, I believe both Ola and Uber are profitable at an operating level. Yeah. Um, and the reason that's happened, of course, is... And I, I think we, they would have achieved profitability earlier had COVID not disrupted all the businesses for almost 18 months, right? It was, it was a huge impact. Ultimately, when you look at a, a two-sided marketplace, right, there's a demand and supply equilibrium that needs to be created. So first, you have to create uh, supply ahead of demand, right? Because as a customer, if you want an Uber and it doesn't, it's going to take half an hour to show up, you're not going to come back to that platform. So creating supply with limited demand means huge burn, a lot of expenses. So, but, but once you create that equilibrium between demand and supply is when you can sort of re- reduce the, the amount of expenses or burn that you have to provide in the form of incentive or cashback or discounts, etc. Unfortunately, with COVID, what happened was that many of these platforms had to literally rebuild that demand and supply from scratch, and which is why it sort of came across as these these companies will continuously burn capital. I think customers also got aware of the fact that, you know, they cannot have free rides all the time and discounts will come to an end sooner or later. So I think rather than chasing uh, uh, top line or growth, which is typically what happens, uh, VCs expect you and, and want you to prioritize growth over profitability. But when capital raising becomes more challenging, then it flips over to say, okay, now profitability is more important. So I think if you scale back operations, focus more on on sort of acquiring and retaining customers who are willing to pay for the service that you provide, uh, you will become profitable. It may be at a lower scale than you thought you should you should have, but it will get there. And that is, I think, what has happened now. So Ola and Uber may not be at a scale that they were pre-COVID, and, and I don't know, maybe they are, but what I do know for a fact is that they are generating free cash flows from their from their core business model. You know, Uber doesn't show uh, show India as a separate uh, PNL. I think at a, at a parent level also. I mean, if you look at their last quarterly announcement, they they did de- declare uh, profits uh, at a, at the holding level as well, uh, which means that they they're the biggest market, which is uh, the US, is definitely profitable. Lyft is still struggling quite a bit. But, you know, if you, if you look at it at a global level as well, the majority of these shared mobility companies, whether it's Uber or their Uber clones like Didi or, uh, uh, you know, or Kareem in the Middle East um, or Grab, they have either consolidated. So, you know, Didi consolidated and merged with Uber, Kareem merged with Uber and stuff like that. I think having one dominant player in these markets allow them, allows them to hold on to their pricing. Uh, more importantly, focus on profitability rather than just growth. That's what's happening. Okay. So, so you, the case is similar with Ola as well in India. And you, you see them in the foreseeable future to getting to sort of net profit levels, etc.? Absolutely. I think quality of service may have deteriorated uh, very, uh, you know, just immediately after COVID. Um, and the reason for that was that there was, uh, you know, a lot of people who had bought these vehicles were not able to keep up with their bank loans, and these vehicles were uh, repossessed from banks and auctioned off. Many of them, having burnt their fingers, haven't come back. But I think that's quality and supply is coming back, and we are seeing demand also pick up. And demand was always there, right? Demand really came back very strongly. Um, I think ultimately even Ola as a platform is providing tremendous amount of service in giving customers the opportunity to choose a mobility service which is reasonably priced, safe and extremely convenient being an on-demand. So there is a market for it. Um, I think there are different companies that are coming up. We've got examples of of Blue Smart, which is 100% EV uh, mobility player and things like that. So I think the markets will continue to grow. 
I think expectations need to be moderated. Uh, so, you know, you're not, I keep t- telling people that, you know, it doesn't, in, in the U.S., because of the high uh, disposable incomes, right? Income levels in, in the U.S. per capita is $60,000. India is $2,500. So there is limited disposable income available in India. So build billion-dollar companies in India is tough and takes longer. So you can't compress that necessary outcome of a unicorn in a short period of time. It takes time to do that. Uh, and I think as long as you have patient capital, we'll keep seeing successful companies. Um, and that's what's happening. And what are some of the challenges on the uh, OEM front? I mean, so far, uh, companies like Aether, uh, even Ola Electric, they are, are they making money on a per unit basis? Where are they at on that? So as an OEM, if you look at how they market it, right? So uh, so you've got the cost. Now, cost is dependent on scale, right? Because you have a bomb cost, like below materials. Um, unfortunately, we are still dependent on uh, mostly China for our cells, which is probably 40-50% the value of the electric vehicle, whether you're two-wheeler, three-wheeler, or four-wheeler. Um, China has, uh, I wouldn't say a, a monopoly, but almost a monopoly on the manufacturing of cells. But the good news is the price of lithium-ion cells, whether it's LFP or other cell chemistries, have been actually coming down. And I think currently also they're probably the lowest they've ever been. So that's a plus point. We're seeing that decline happening. But if you are in the early stage of an OEM, your volumes are slow and your bomb costs will be high. Um, Whereas your selling price is market determined, right? You cannot pass that additional cost burden to that because ultimately as an EV OEM, not only are you sort of competing with other EV OEMs, but you're in the consideration set of an ICE vehicle, right? Customer looking to buy a new vehicle is choosing between a Hero or a Bajaj and an Aether or an Ola, for example. So you cannot price yourself out so much. So initially, uh, as volumes are low, you will probably incur uh, have negative unit economics. Uh, and that's why companies are uh, need to raise... Uh, capital from investors right, to, to pay for that difference between your cost of manufacturing a vehicle and the price at which the markets will be able to absorb them. But uh, the good thing about EVs over uh, traditional uh, two-wheeler OEMs is that one-third of the cost of ownership of a vehicle is the fuel cost or energy cost. Till now, if you are buying a petrol or diesel, that one-third or share of wallet of energy expense used to go to public sector companies like Indian Oil uh, or Bharat Petroleum. I think with EVs, I think whether it's the OEMs or whether it's partners, etc., have the ability to capture that one-third of revenue in the form of energy sales or charging. Of course, many customers will end up charging their vehicles at home, but those who are looking for public charging networks, battery swapping, rapid charging, etc., will come there. So you have a significant uh, revenue stream that is now going to accrue to the private sector uh, and transition away from public sector. So I think that's one additional uh, revenue stream that's available for the life of that asset. So I think as volume scale, we'll start seeing uh, OEMs become unit pos- uh, positive on the on the sale of the vehicle. But I think if we add up uh, the revenue opportunity on the energy side, I think their path to profitability will be even faster. Hmm. Is it too early to think if uh, the current slowdown will uh, precipitate some kind of a, a shakeout in the sector? Do you see some of the weaker players falling off? What is seeing happening? Uh, I think in any entrepreneurial system or a system of capitalism, you're going to have consolidation of players. Um, I think the uh, current slowdown in their in companies' ability to raise capital will accelerate that. I think companies that have made significant investments in technology, um, R&D, etc., and have built robust pr- proprietary uh, vehicles, right? Uh, as long as they have a good understanding of who their customers are and they're building to solve for their pain points, I think these companies will survive. I think there was a long tail of of companies who, because of the opportunities presented from the fame subsidy, ended up bringing in a lot of CKDs or SKDs, which are these kits, which were being assembled in India with very little investment being made on 
technology uh, or the hardware itself uh, i think those got they those have got commoditized very fast so there is really no differentiation between them and if you are depending on the category i think in consumer facing businesses uh, you know people are looking for distinct experiences so having a commoditized assembled product in that space is very very difficult uh, and will probably shut down or get acquired i mean i don't even know why they would get acquired they bring nothing to the table but i think if you are in businesses a b2b businesses like e rickshaw or delivery you have still an opportunity to become a leader but in a narrow space like in a narrow geographic area you could sort of scale your business in a hyderabad or in ncr but not really become a global player uh as long as you are able to monetize the energy piece uh, you should be okay so i think you'll have a combination of successful companies and things like that but ultimately we think that the, you know the top four or five companies in each category will probably end up with 70 80% market share of total ev sales volumes as well and that's sort of the focus area for us as a fund what's your view on ether i mean before the whole uh, sort of slowdown certain uh they seem to have gotten most of the uh, check boxes right and they figured out uh that closer to the higher end of the their segment they were going to do well and that's where they focused and now i think with their latest product release we've seen that they're trying to offer a, a vehicle that's more affordable what's your long term view on them i think that's by design i mean if i look at oems uh, in this ev space of starting with tesla typically you start with a high high priced vehicle and again back to my uh, the explanation of what the bomb cost is right that the bomb cost of a, of an ev company with low volumes will always be very high so you might as well target and have a full feature product and target the higher end of the spectrum right to minimize the burn on on uh, that your bomb cost comes down with volumes which is why typically you don't need launch a value product maybe 5 7 8 years down the road which is what ether is doing um so it's basically by design um so i think that's the right way to go ultimately you capture you will want vehicles at different price points to capture different segments of customers i think what's important of course is that we always recognize that fame was always a temporary sop uh to to get uh, the initial volumes flowing and now that we're we were doing about 25 30000 uh you know ev2 wheeler sales a month i think fame to a large extent has met its objectives but of course we are expecting fame 3 announcement to come through now whether a majority of that will still be for uh, last uh, for the form factor and customers or would uh, with some of that or, or a majority of that will go towards creating infrastructure which will sort of is actually what we need now that's to be seen but i think uh when you talk about ether and ola both uh, introducing lower price vehicle it's basically a result of both the fact that you have already achieved some level of scale with a higher price product or a premium product now your ability to launch a lower price product because you have the necessary volumes to be able to reduce your bomb cost is there and given the fact that uh, or say fame subsidy has been reduced i think it's better to target a value customer as well going forward okay one more question on ether and then i want to ask you about the challenges in the ecosystem as well as some of the sub segment opportunities that uh, you may have come across uh, there have been some news reports that ether is finding it uh, if not difficult at least uh, they are in a more protracted sort of uh, process in terms of their next fundraising uh, to your mind what are some of their biggest strengths that would help them eventually raise the money that they want i think it is a phenomenal brand it has first mover advantage it has great products uh they've got they've made the right investments in technology in hardware in customer experience they have grown the business slowly and carefully uh they've always prioritized uh, product over scale um i mean i have um, and they've helped create the ev ecosystem right ultimately yeah. in fact i wrote an article about it and compared the similarities of maruti did for creating the ice uh, supply chain and ev ecosystem allowing other oems to set up shop in india ether did the same on the ev side um so i think that's phenomenal um i think ultimately 
the their ability to raise the next round of capital is is a function of uh, there is a recognition that there is a slowdown ultimately you know two years ago companies were raising large sums of capital now it's becoming a little difficult but fortunately i don't think ev ev companies really got carried away in terms of valuation or, or mobility companies uh, because post covid numbers were subdued uh, we didn't really experience that those tailwinds that companies in the edtech social e-commerce food delivery uh, sectors sort of got so valuations are always subdued ultimately i think um, ether already has a strategic sitting on the cap table with hero there um, so i think what's important for ether of course is to continue to grow the business they may not end up raising the amount of capital that they need but knowing the dna that the company has they've survived with much less capital and i have no doubt that they'll continue to build a extremely successful company and and have terrific outcome for all stakeholders whether their shareholders customers their vendors uh, or the founders okay so speaking about the ecosystem can you talk a bit more about um where you see the overall indian ev ecosystem in terms of its maturity today um i think we are definitely following uh, other markets like china the us and europe right i think china and us are probably 10 15 years ahead of where we uh, of where we are but the good news is that we seem to be uh, catching up with them i don't know if we'll ever catch up with them but at least we're following in their footsteps which is great i think we am seeing although maturity is still far away but at least i'm seeing now um thanks to companies like tata um uh, and ola electric evs have got into the discussion and the consideration set of new vehicle buyers okay so two years ago people were choosing between a hero and a bajaj and tvs today they are choosing between an ice and an ev uh, and we can see the volumes are going up i think what we need to do is make evs more affordable and i think one way to do that is separate the ownership of the vehicle and the battery i mean think about it hari when you buy a petrol car from maruti maruti doesn't ask you to pay 5 years of petrol upfront so a battery is akin to the energy or the fuel cost that you have so asking a person to pay and, and like i said a battery may be almost 40 to 50% the cost of the vehicle so if we are able to separate that evs will become much more affordable i think we are beyond the point of asking the question if it is now a question of when at advantage we have an internal assessment that in many form factors especially two wheelers uh, three wheelers etc we will probably see 40 to 50% of new vehicle sales from evs in the next say 8 to 10 years which will translate into approximately 100 million plus evs being sold and like i mentioned earlier that's a trillion dollar opportunity for us so we are very bullish about this space there will always be some minor hiccups and ups and downs where the same subsidy is being reduced and things like that but again ultimately if you are in it for the long haul i think this is a once in a generation or lifetime opportunity that comes i mean if you think of if i think about it the last time the auto industry had something as exciting as this was the advent of the assembly line in the model p from ford so it's taken so long for us to actually see an opportunity like this in the sector can you explain this a bit more how would one separate ownership of a vehicle and the battery absolutely so i even regulation has now permitted to do that right so there are business models where we are providing swappable batteries hmm. for the vehicle itself um, and there are companies like gogoro right. from from taiwan and even in india you've got ulu and baz uh, uh, and also companies like uh, shiru that's providing battery swapping as a service for powering e-rickshaws there anyways the batteries are owned by somebody else and the vehicles are owned by somebody else um so there the separation ownership is by by design uh but even if you have a fixed battery now uh, so if you're buying a tata with a fixed battery or you're buying an ether uh contractually what we are saying is that if you sell a vehicle and ask a bank to finance that but have a leasing company purchase the or give the value of the battery to the OEM ultimately but then lease that or rent that battery back to the customer and you know for a for a monthly lease rental amount and including x number of kilometers that is akin to the behavior of of buying a, a petrol car and spending say 3000 rupees a month on petrol mm. the minute you do that 
from a from a uh, you know from a price point the vehicle uh, the price of the vehicle you're buying will probably be less than an ice vehicle now because now you're not buying the vehicle you're buying uh, you're not buying the battery you're leasing it or renting it so now you have two check payments one going to the bank for the asset and one going to the leasing company battery leasing company for the use of the battery and this we are starting company we are seeing this option available to companies so to some uh, customers in the west and we think sooner or later it will come to india i think oems also recognize that need um, and you know good thing is that with the uh, there are enough uh, investors that are looking for yield seeking uh, opportunities rather than equity returns so you have a different set of customers who fund the oems uh, who sell vehicles and a different set of customers who will fund the leasing companies that will buy and lease these assets to customers so the good thing is that the ecosystem exists for this now it's a question of finding and backing companies who will make that happen mm. what does it what do we need for this to happen in india i mean i am thinking in terms of regulation it's not a big deal uh, right uh but in terms of the sort of the business infrastructure what's missing and how soon can we see this at scale i think regulation already allows that uh, the good thing is that uh you know there was earlier a hesitation for this model to become pervasive is because we were not sure what the life of the battery is right so a vehicle can last 12 to 15 years a battery goes lasting lasting 4 to 5 years so you're going to have the need to replace batteries two or three times in the life of the asset but what we are seeing is with improvement in technologies we are seeing now batteries that can last even 8 to 10 years and hopefully very soon you will have no need to replace your battery it will last as long as the vehicle itself so i think that is one thing um the other thing of course is is that for customers to get comfortable with the fact that they want the car not the battery uh, and the third is of course finance companies or startups that are going to be set up and with a focus on on building and executing this business model um and as a fund this is actually one business opportunity so you know as a fund we are very proactive uh, because we spent 2 3 years on researching a cer- certain sector which is being disrupted in the mobility space we also make a conscious decision to make a list of about 10 to 12 businesses that we think that will get created in that space in shared mobility for example we knew bike taxi existed in southeast asian markets why is it not present in india so we knew that we could build a bike taxi business and we funded rapido and built that successfully the same was with the rapid charging we said well rapid charging is going to come let's look for the right founders to build that business battery leasing is a business opportunity we know can we can build a very successful company we're just looking for the right founders to to come in and start that the good thing is that um, apart from capital since we built this advantage platform we are able to connect all the startups or portfolio companies that we invest in with other portfolio companies in the ecosystem so you'd be surprised that we actually have eight category leaders in the mobility industry eight in less than eight years so we're actually creating a winner every year the good thing is that those eight companies are highly complementary so within our own ecosystem we have access to iot devices battery management system battery technologies battery financing ev financing etc etc so because we are able to introduce these partners uh with uh, to our portfolio companies their time to market is hugely accelerated so if if they were on their own it will take them 12 to 18 months to launch and build momentum with the with the network of found uh, the portfolio companies that i have they can probably hit the market in 6 to 8 months that is what increases their probability of becoming a market leader and if you become a market leader you are able to attract more capital and increase the gap between yourself and others and that's sort of the flywheel effect that we've created and the secret sauce of advantage which is now getting stronger and stronger in the context of your earlier point about uh lagging china or the us by 10 15 years can you talk about that a bit more what are we lagging on are we talking about scale or is it uh, uh maturity of the technology in the market what are the different things that you see so i think you know with india there's always uh, capital deficit deficiencies right in uh in everything that we do and many times we are sort of accused of uh, copying or or um, you know mimicking other technologies and things like that and the reason is 
we just don't have enough as much capital as the US or China has. I mean, look at their um, size of their economy and things like that. So even though that's a disadvantage, what we've seen is that because we come in late to the party, we actually have the ability to leapfrog technologies and catch up with them very fast. We've seen this happening a number of times. For example, like I told you, my first job was in mobile telephony. Uh, whereas other countries went through the process of first starting analog systems and CDMA, it took them two, three generations before they went digital. India started with GSM digital from day one, right? So we leapfrog that. Uh, we've seen that in uh, things, other things like uh, digital payments, for example, and things like that. I think in EV also, uh, uh, we may be 10 to 15 years late to the party with regards to what's happened in the US and China. Because remember, Aether has been around for you know 20 plus years. Uh, they've been slowly, slowly building away that ecosystem. And these countries have crossed 5% plus of new vehicle sales at EVs. We are still at a low 1% if I look at all form factors. Uh, but my gut tells me that, and if history is, is anything, we'll probably leapfrog and catch up with them very fast. So for us, that's another reason I think we're there. So we lag behind because of lack of infrastructure, lack of talent, uh, lack of capital. But like I said, uh, once we we are able to get all uh, the regulation in order, uh, the talent flowing, the the VCs coming in with capital, we have the uh, problem. We have we are pretty. I'm pretty certain we'll catch up to them very fast. Maybe not in terms of volumes, but definitely in terms of technology and performance. Mm. Can you do a quick deep dive into the talent aspect of this? I mean, on the software front, we talk about having such a huge uh, workforce and so on. And everybody is now building their global capability centers in India or expanding it and so on. But with respect to the EV sector, what's missing on the talent front? Well, I mean, apart from small companies like Aether and all, like our, our entire EV ecosystem is probably just six, seven years old, right? But um, I mean, for the good news is that companies like Aether now have are in their seventh, eighth or ninth year. So they've created a pool of, of talented uh, individuals who have gone out and started their own companies. Uh, two of our portfolio companies, um, Exponent and ByteBeam, are ex-Aether CXOs. One's mm. the former chief product officer and one's the former chief technology officer. So what we are seeing is that flywheel effect is happening. And this is similar to what Maruti did. Uh, majority of people running other OEMs are ex-Maruti folks. And in technology, we're seeing a majority of founders have come out of companies that were pioneers in that space. And that will only accelerate. So even though to some extent pool is pool was limited, we're seeing that uh, you know more and more companies are coming out of these com these companies who are now well, uh, you know, are much later stage of development growth. The world is flat. We hear that quite often. I think now you have the ability to tap into pool, uh, pool uh, capital, uh, uh, talent capital anywhere in the world. We are seeing uh, brain drain, reverse brain drain. We've got people moving back from the US. We've still got people moving to the US. But I think ultimately we are. Uh, there are two of our portfolio companies that have talent split between the U.S. and India. So I think geographical constraints are becoming less and less. I think if anything, COVID taught us was that you know working remotely is uh, is almost as efficient and effective. Uh, and have uh, keeping your mind open to hiring global talent allows you to put together a far better quality of team and faster than insisting on all of them being physically present. I mean, just look at this podcast, right? We're recording this over the air. I'm sure 10 years ago, it would have required us to meet physically to achieve this objective. And now we're able to do it from the comfort of our homes or offices. So I think that's improving significantly as well on the EV side. Hmm. Okay, slight segue uh, in the sense that although it's germane to this discussion, um, you know, while you were speaking uh, on the talent front, I was thinking about companies like Tesla uh, with respect to the EV sector. Now in smartphones and electronics, because of Apple's increased interest in India, there's a lot of excitement. And I was wondering whether a similar anchor company can make a huge difference in India. I mean, if not an India-grown company, but um, or a, at least a foreign company like Tesla, I'm just looking for you to think a lot about this. Absolutely. I, I think it's very early days. I think we need uh, we need established companies like Tesla. Uh, I mean, 
if it wasn't for the geopolitical tension between india and china i think china brings a lot of value to the table but i understand why we are hesitant to allow them in we want the local markets to grow um so having tesla come in of course on the terms that are acceptable to the indian uh, people and government i think is uh, is very very positive for sure uh, tesla brings technology tesla brings talent tesla brings manufacturing jobs etc and anybody with that brand and that scale will help create the ecosystem um, and i think it's always a plus i think ultimately customers is king he should be given the the ability to choose the a, a between brands products and price points so tesla will come in as a premium player for sure there will still be opportunities for local players to build value uh, brands and and uh, with higher volumes etc etc Uh, so if it's a question of accelerating that transition from ice to ev i'm all for it and uh, i know there's there's been a lot of back and forth going on between them so i still don't know if it will happen but i think one way or the other we will continue to transition away from ice to evs uh, it's just somebody like a tesla will come and create uh, far more excitement in the space will probably draw more investor interest will uh, you know the good thing about people brands like tesla and all is it at least it will get people talking about evs um, just like ola and ether has done i think what tesla ultimately a lot of people will want to come and test drive and try out the product and if they like that concept they'll go and buy a tata or an mg and that's okay so it's not that everybody can afford uh, will be able to afford tesla but i think it will definitely uh, increase the uh, the adoption rate of evs in india Hmm. Uh, for a more general audience who is not gen- not very clued into the ev sector can you dumb it down for us what does the indian government want from tesla and what is tesla asking for us from us i think the indian government has to balance the needs of the local uh, manufacturers or the oems uh, and the need to have somebody like a tesla to come and set up shop here um, i think what tesla has come in and and proposed to the government is that at the price point um there will be a premium player in india right i mean the cheapest uh, model 3 is about $30000 um mm-hmm. uh, when you layer on the taxes and all that it uh, you become a niche player they're not tesla is not a really a volume player uh, although uh, i'm sure they want to be in some markets um uh, definitely in india with the lower level of income if you want to be a volume player you have to price your products sub 15000 right which is including taxes and tesla doesn't have a product at that price point uh, so tesla was actually wanting to just import vehicles from china where they have excess capacity right now because china is going through a bit of a slowdown and the government's not okay and but for that they wanted the government to reduce the taxation on the import of cbus or completely built up units i don't think the government was in favor of that and a lot of uh, domestic oems lobbied strongly against allowing the reduction of import duties on electric vehicles um the government proposed to tesla to set up a manufacturing plant in india um in that case there would be a short term sort of reduction in duties but not on the cbus but maybe on ckds and things like that as long as tesla is committing to start manufacturing and scale and what other companies have done is that they set up a, a, a manufacturing plant at capacity knowing fully well that they will not be able to use up that entire capacity in the domestic market and ultimately become make india an export hub for them Uh, Renault, Nissan, Maruti, Suzuki to a large extent, Hyundai, all of them export almost 25, 30, 40% of their total volumes out of India because it's a low cost manufacturing center and they basically wanted Tesla to follow that same playbook. So I think that is sort of what is going on between uh, what Tesla wants, what the government is willing to offer and the government has to like I said keep in mind the interest of domestic oems that have already made significant investments uh, for their ev uh, products uh, and platform and what are you hearing from your network in terms of where the talks are at between india and tesla uh, uh you know advanced talks for sure but like i said in some things like this it's the outcome is very binary and until unless the you know the 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 paperwork is not signed executed and announced you don't know which way it will go and 
unfortunately many times even after you sign documents or mous that you know sometimes things don't pan out so i think the 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 my philosophy and things like this is that uh, you know you hope for the best but plan on the worst and 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 as a country i think whether tesla comes or not it really is not going to matter to a large extent and what how we will end up adopting evs um it will just be a slightly different trajectory on the adoption rates but ultimately we'll get there and like mm-hmm. i said 10 to 12 years we're expecting 40 to 50% of new vehicle sales to be evs and some of the form factors not all and again to use the apple example their interest in india has put the spotlight on companies like foxconn and vistron and others uh who are the sort of foxconn equivalents when it comes to a tesla so tesla is a full stack model right yeah uh, so if the key difference between apple and other companies is that apple realized that they wanted to fo- being a california you know bay area based company they said look we are very good at design um and we are very good at marketing mm. and communication right those were the two areas that they decided that they wanted to build in house so apple stores was an outcome of that superior experience that they wanted to give to customers and product innovation was their sort of core competency so whether it was ipads or or um, uh, watch and things like that i think what they realized was manufacturing is something that is not core to their business and they will probably never be as good as manufacturing as a contract manufacturer based out of china whether it was flextronic or foxconn or all of these other people and hence apple chose choose to outsource the manufacturing and that's worked to their advantage um, and allowed them to become one of the most profitable companies in, uh, in the world i think with tesla given the fact that uh, a majority of the revenue stream that's available to them is is the energy as well as the manufacturing and also the fact that uh, tesla wanted to build that manufacturing jobs and believe you me that journey was not easy it was extremely painful i mean tesla could have outsourced their manufacturing to an existing auto manufacturer oem but what they did was they actually acquired uh, plants that were going to be shut down by general motors a plant in the bay area actually used to be a former saturn plant for example mm. owned by gm so they acquired that plant so they had to retrofit it for them but they had to go through that learning journey and they made a lot of mistakes but they learned from them i think initially they were thinking they'll be able to set up a manufacturing plant for 100 million dollars but i believe somebody was telling me that they ended up spending or investing over a billion dollars 1.2 billion almost 12x over their initial estimate is that's what they, they i don't think they realize how complicated and difficult manufacturing was but now that they have it i think they what they have to their advantage is that they own the entire value chain right from end to end they are manufacturing their own cells their own batteries they're assembling their own cars setting up building their own charging network setting up tesla superchargers owning the entire share of wallet from the customer so that is tesla's philosophy and tesla has taken 20 25 years to get there okay. and that's that um but i think what's happening now is that uh, you know a lot of the technology that tesla had to build from scratch because those solutions didn't exist are getting commoditized cell manufacturing is getting commoditized you can buy now from chinese manufacturers at a low price battery manufacturing also to a large extent now oems are dependent on third party so the o- traditional oem dna is to actually source products from different component suppliers right tier one guys like a mothersland etc uh, etc et and assemble the final product and then yes a customer experience and design is in house but so is manufacturing but they are dependent on sourcing from different people so the equivalent of a foxconn and ev is really not there right now but i wouldn't be surprised if that will happen mm. in fact two of our portfolio companies um, are into uh, man- one is manufacturing batteries and one is going to manufacture two wheeler they are actually and we are recommended to them to actively look at contract manufacturing rather than set up their own manufacturing plant and and follow the apple model so i think there will be companies that we will see in the future that will become the foxconn equivalent in the ev space okay uh, bringing it back to advantage and i know that there's this whole other sort of universe of consumer focused tech companies you all have invested in and i kind of decided to focus on taking advantage of someone who's very deeply into the ev sector for this conversation and 
hopefully i'll get another chance to talk about some of your other investments over the next 12 months or so uh, can you talk about what are your plans i mean big priorities uh so if i so you know uh, running a vc is like a cohort based uh, uh, strategy so you got fund 1 fund 2 fund 3 so if i were to answer that question we are looking to exit all our positions from fund 1 mm. we actually already have eight cash exits and we've returned more than 1x of capital so the dpi as they call it distribution to paid in which is phenomenal i think very few funds actually have achieved a dpi of of even one let alone uh, excess of one we are trying to make that 2 uh, to 3x in the next 6 uh, uh, to 12 months so our priority for fund 1 is exit all our positions priority for fund 2 of course we probably got two or three investments left in fund from fund 2 and then we'll focus on uh, building the companies and and sort of helping them grow to the next 3 or 4 years and then start looking at exiting so that's priority for fund 2 we're looking at we're working very closely with many of our companies we are, actually have four companies that are in the middle of up rounds right now in spite of the global slowdown i fortunately mobility and ev is is not affected as much as others it is affected but not as much so priority for fund 2 is helping companies raise their series b and c um and priority for fund 3 is that uh, we are waiting for sebi approval we've submitted our application and we are in the process of bringing on board two or three strategic anchors to be able to do our first close in the next say uh, two to three quarters um so fund wise those are three distinct priorities for each funds that we are currently uh, managing okay uh one one quick specific follow on any uh, specific sub segment within evs maybe leaning more towards the so called uh, deep tech side of things that you find very interesting sure um so like i mentioned our first investment in ev was 2018 so we've spent 5 years now understanding this space uh at that point we identified about 12 opportunities across the ev space we've already made some deep tech ev investments so we are in a company called exponent which is the leader in rapid charging so they can charge an ev uh, in 15 minutes from 0 to 100 um we recognized uh, battery energy saving rng banking as a business opportunity sheru is a pioneer in that space um we've got an iot company called bitebeam these are all deep tech companies uh, very highly successful becoming market leaders in this space um we continue to look for other eb opportunities whether like i mentioned we're looking at battery recycling battery leasing we think uh, there is a need to build uh, a separate company for financing and insurance as well on the ev side we don't think legacy companies will really be able to uh, to extract or build very uh, you know robust products in this space given the fact that evs are iot's on wheels they are not traditional vehicles and things like that uh, we're looking at alternate cell chemistries i think uh, there is an urgent need to reduce our dependence uh, on china for cell which is why you need to build alternate chemistries we are also starting to sort of very early understand hydrogen as an alternate fuel and things like that it's way too early we think uh, hydrogen will potentially be a focus area for us in fund 4 or fund 5 but if we if we're going to be making our first investment in that space let's say 4 5 years from now we want to spend 3 years in researching that opportunity itself so i think that's another thing that's of interest to us but that's probably not going to be something we're looking at from fund 3 that's definitely a subsequent fund thesis okay very nice uh, any last quick thoughts sir before we wrap up um, i know you've generously made time with no absolutely i think the 60 minutes went uh, extremely fast i think thank you for giving me this opportunity allowing us to talk a little bit about the fund about myself it's been an incredible journey but if i look at uh, india uh, the next 20 years for india we were expecting gdp to triple we are expecting disposable incomes to go up i think whether it's mobility or any other sector it's a very exciting time to be in india like i said i moved back from the us um, and have no regrets whatsoever so really looking forward to sort of achieving our internal vision of creating 100 100 successful founders um out of the advantage platform and there are 50 100 more vcs like us so i think that sort of snowball effect is is getting bigger and bigger 
and I think we talk about 110 unicorns in India. I'm hoping in the next 20 years we'll have a thousand unicorns coming out. Of India. Very nice, Kunal. Thank you again for very generously making time for me. Definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Harry, for having me. That's it for this conversation. I'll be back soon with another episode of Startup Fridays. Until then, have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.